be reading Matthew 5, 3 through 6 this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Good morning. You guys are getting good at that. Make me feel good. Um, this morning, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. This message, uh, as I've spent a lot of time with it this week, has, um, has been very uh, impacting and, and effectual for me. Um, and so I hope that it's that for you. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and, and dig in. God, thank you for this morning. I, I pray now that you would um, capture our minds and capture our attention. Uh, here in this moment, God, and I pray you would uh, center our our hearts and our thoughts and uh, everything around your son Jesus as we um, consider what it is that you have to say to us this morning, Father. I, I pray, Lord, that you would free us from distraction, uh, but more than that, God, just not just free us from distraction, but, but zero our minds and our hearts and our thoughts into, um, into your son this morning and, and what he's done. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Um, So we're into our fourth beatitude this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the one we're going to deal with today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, And since the beginning, we've had this step stool here. um, But I want to kind of draw our attention to it again just for a second because I think it's, it's really important for us to understand that there is um, like what, what's happening with each one of these beatitudes. They are central to one another. Like you need one to step on to the next. So what we've learned is, um, and this stuff is in, in your bulletin and be on the screen as well, happiness comes when we realize that we have nothing to offer God. And, and the world is at war with that. We've been saying that a lot. Mike said it last week, and, and I'm saying it again this week and said it every week. The world is at war with our happiness. The world is at war with this kind of happiness. But, but the, the central foundational, we're like on the ground with this knowledge, is that we realize we have nothing to offer God that will atone for our sin. And then as, as we process that, that causes us to take another step up, and we see that happiness comes when we mourn, having nothing to offer God. So we, at our foundation, we know we have nothing to offer God, and then taking a step up, we mourn the fact that we have nothing to offer God. All right? And I was going to say something. I'm going to say that for a second. Um, but the, the next one there, happiness comes when we have confidence because we have nothing to offer God because he has atoned for my sin. That's that's a, another way to say meekness. It comes when we are confident that Christ has atoned for our sins. We can stand and take another step up. And, and the, the, the more steps we get higher, the closer we are to happiness. And, and we've talked from the beginning that we all want to be happy. And this word happy really means satisfied or whole or complete. The opposite of this happy is empty and, and wanting. And this leaves us not wanting. And so to get here is all reliant upon the steps before. And today we'll talk about this one. I'm a little bit nervous. and sure my wife is really nervous. I'm sure the, you in the front row here are very nervous. Thanks. Thanks, Brett. Um, happiness comes 
when I hunger and thirst to act rightly because Jesus has atoned for my sins when I could not. Like, I really, like, just forget about me standing on a, on a tall stepladder for a second and, and look, look at that. Happiness comes when I hunger and thirst to act rightly because Jesus has atoned for my sin when I could not. Like this, we all want to be this sort of full and satisfied. And the path to that is, is to act rightly, to do rightly, not to gain anything from Jesus or gain anything from God, but because of what he's done. And you see how like each of these things is so completely dependent upon the one before it. Let's, let's talk first for a second about I think this will help us kind of begin to relate to the steps and everything um, to talk about the opposite of the Beatitudes. So the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is meaning we're understanding of our sin and living there. And we can't mourn our sin unless we first realized our sin. So you can't blessed are the mourn, blessed are those who mourn, until you have come to grips with the fact that you are a sinner. And then you'll never be meek until you've realized your sin and mourned your sin. Without mourning our sin and the ability to wrong, we'll never find the humility and meekness that's needed. Instead, we'll rest in ourselves and who we are. And, and like, this is one... Um, so the, the mourning piece, I think maybe if you give yourself, like maybe grade yourself or see how you, you kind of are with, with each one of these, these first four, like for me personally, I'm, I'm really good at blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm fully aware that I need Jesus, that I have nothing to offer him, but I'm not so good at the mourning piece. When I come to grips with my sin, it doesn't break me like I wish that it would. And then because of that, it's harder to get to the next one. It's harder to be meek and humble and confident in who Jesus has made me. It's hard to get there without first mourning our own ability to be depraved. You, you, you following with me here? And the result of that, if we don't mourn, we'll never be meek. If we're not meek, we'll never hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because meekness, like in the very fabric of what meek is, is like I know that I don't have something that I need. Do you understand that? Like when you mourn, you realize you don't have something that you need. And then that becomes your state of mind. The way that you view the world, the way that you view yourself, the way you view every relationship all of your relationships when you know that you, there's something you need that you don't have. And what, what's, what's a perfect metaphor for knowing that you need something and not having it? To, to be hungry and to be thirsty. Think about times when you've been hungry or thirsty. Think about those times. And they're, all of them are because you haven't drank for a while. You've done things to make yourself thirsty and there's no water or anything to drink around you or you haven't eaten in a while. These are all prerequisites. And this is God pressing in on us. So what does it mean to hunger 
and thirst. What does it look like to be hungry? And I think in, in context of this, it's, it's happiness. It's, and not just happiness like our definition, but happiness in, as, in, as in fullness. What, what does it mean to, to really, really want and desire to be satisfied? I think we all have that. There's a, I've, I've quoted this. There's, there's, I'm going to show you a clip from uh, Mad Men in just a second. I've, I've quoted this before, but not, we haven't seen the, the actual clip of it. I've just sh- given you the words. Um, but there's, before we see the clip, I want to say something about it. There's going to be, there's, there's a lot of truth in what Don Draper is saying in this clip. There's a, like, we'll connect with it. Like, yes, I'm with that. But as you kind of think a little bit deeper about what he says, you, you realize there's just something that's not quite right about it. And what, what I want, want to say and want you to look for as you're listening to him talk is the, the truth that's in him is the craving that we have to be satisfied. The error in what he says is a little less tangible than that. I, I, I can put my finger on it, but I'd rather not say it. Just let the, the clip speak and, and let, it, let it speak to you to understand that there's something absolutely correct about this, but there's also something that, that's just not quite right. So, Abram, go ahead and fire that up, man. But it doesn't change the fact that we're happy with our agency. Are you? You're happy with 50%. You're on top and you don't have enough. You're happy because you're successful for now. But what is happiness? It's a moment before you need more happiness. I won't settle for 50% of anything. I want 100%. You're happy with your agency? You're not happy with anything. You don't want most of it. You want all of it. And I won't stop until you get all of it. Thank you for your time. Really, really quick uh, clip there, but it, it's just, there's so many great, quick little lines. What is happiness? It's the moment before you need more happiness. Like, you, you see his, like his passion to like, he wants to do, this is part of what he wants to do, but there's, I won't settle for 50% of anything. I want 100%. You don't want most of it. You want all of it. And I, want, I won't stop till I give it to you. Like there's, there's this, there's piece of us that wants to do this, wants to be that. But there's, there's just something that's not quite right about it. Um, what I found in studying this this week is that there are really three ways for us to live. The first is we hunger and thirst for satisfaction. This is how probably most of us live our lives. We hunger and thirst for satisfaction. Remember the Beatitudes is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. We, we get it backwards. We hunger and thirst for satisfaction. I want to be satisfied. I live here a lot. Things in my life that can give me satisfaction are my wife, my church, things maybe for you, work, friends, food, kids, home, the neighborhood that you live in, your health, money. All of these things can bring you satisfaction. You read those again, and, and hopefully something will trigger in your mind, and you will see where you hunger and thirst for this thing in order for you to have satisfaction. Your spouse, your church, 
your work, your friends, food, your kids, home, your neighborhood, money, and your health. All of these things can bring satisfaction to you. All these things are good. All these things are are things that God has brought to you or can be gifts that God has given to you. But they can be bad when we look to them as the thing to give us satisfaction. Um, For me, I I said it just a minute ago, I'm going to say it again. For me, I can look to most notably, most consistently, my wife and my church to give me satisfaction. And so... Here's, here's where I want you to, to think deeply and, and, and maybe relate to something that, that you seek for your satisfaction. So take my wife. I will manipulate things in our world and in our culture and in like our life to get her to want to give to me satisfaction. And when she doesn't, when, I'm, when she doesn't satisfy me or when she doesn't, do what I want her to do, I get angry. And I punch things. And I cuss. And I speed away from my driveway. And I slam doors. Because the thing that I want to be giving me my satisfaction is not giving me my satisfaction. Because I've, I've placed too great a burden on my wife. Like she is not capable of satisfying my soul. She's an incredible gift from the Lord to my soul. And, and, and God has brought satisfaction to me through her. But she is not the thing that brings me my satisfaction. Do you see how we can chase things that we want to satisfy us? And they will fail every time. And when they fail, we get frustrated. We get angry. We do things like speed away and slam doors and punch walls and yell at our children. All things that I've done this week. Because I'm angry at my wife. Because she isn't perfect to satisfy everything that I want. And I also do this with church. Here's where we're going to get a little bit personal. Um, I manipulate situations and do things to get you to do things so that I'll feel good about myself. I'll feel good about the way that I'm what I can do to pastor. Just like, go back and look, just parenthetically here, go back and look at the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are, are, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, blessed are the meek. There, there's, none of that is true. When I'm pursuing my satisfaction, manipulating and, and causing things to happen and wanting things to happen in particular ways so that I'll feel good about myself so I will be satisfied. Like it's a, it's a very hard thing to come to grips. Like this is, this is really difficult to come to grips with when you realize what you're capable of in order to find your satisfaction. And go back and, and look at Look at Don Draper, the clip we just saw. Like, he's passionate about all of these things to bring satisfaction to himself through bringing satisfaction for someone else. If I do these things, you will respond in ways that will satisfy me. And when you don't, 
when you don't do the things that I want you to do to satisfy me as your pastor. Like, show up for church. Like, show up for church on time. Like, show up for, for community group. Like, serve. Like, find an area where you need to, to do, like, uh, there's an area of North Church that needs to be something done to just stand up and do it. And what I want as your pastor is for you to do those things. And when you do those things, I get satisfied. And when you don't do those things, I get angry at you. Because I place an undue burden, and a, a burden that you are not designed to withstand. That's God's role. Because, and, and I hope that these two illustrations can show you where it's true in your life, because I promise you it is. There's something in your life that God has given to you as a gift from him designed to bring you partial satisfaction or designed to bring you, show you residue of his fingers and show you glimpses of who he is, shadows of, of the way that he can satisfy your soul. And we take those good gifts and make them ultimate gifts and place the burden on that gift to bring us ultimate and perfect satisfaction that they're not capable of. And so we hunger and thirst for things that cannot satisfy us. Do you, like... If you're really hungry and really thirsty, do you want like a tiny morsel of food that's, that's going to leave you wanting? No, it's not the way it is. We hunger and thirst for satisfaction because we want to be satisfied. The second way to live is this. We hunger and thirst for self-righteousness. In other words, I want to satisfy God. Do you guys live there trying to satisfy God? If I do enough good things, I'm going to satisfy God. The more I do for God, the more he's going to like me. For me, the first way to live, I, I spend more time there, but I also spend time here. And I kind of impose that on, on the first one as well. Like the more things that I do for you, God, the more I think you ought to be satisfying me or if i do enough things right you're gonna you're gonna satisfy me or it's gonna it's gonna satisfy me uh the older brother in luke 15 says this look these many years i have served you i have never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends do you see the older brother, this is the prodigal son story, and this is the direct quote from him. This is what he's saying. You, like, if the, the harder that I work, all these things that I do, you, you need to satisfy me because I've done, I've satisfied you. A couple of chapters later, Jesus is telling another story. A Pharisee says this in Luke 18, God I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. Like, we're manipulating God. Like, can we be honest with each other enough to say that, like, I'm, we try to manipulate God in order for, to get him to owe us satisfaction? It's not the way it works. You're placing undue burden on yourself. 
The third thing, the third way to live, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God satisfies us. Like, who do, who do you want to satisfy you? Do you want your spouse to satisfy you? Do you want yourself to satisfy you? Or do you want God to satisfy you? Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses a man who takes refuge in him. Like this this verse, Psalm 34, 8, is the Beatitudes. Blessed, same word. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take, just test. Check it out. See if it works. Blessed, same word, is the man who takes refuge in him. Like, all of the Beatitudes, all the climbing on this ladder, all about this, this, this notion to take refuge in the Lord. Like, when you, take, when you seek refuge, you're seeking refuge because there's a storm or something that can harm you outside of the refuge. That's understanding your sinfulness. There's a storm happening inside of your soul that cause you to want to sin and do things on your own and gain for yourself and cause you to sin. And then the response is to take refuge. It's to, that's mourning who you are. You, you, take, you understand that being outside of the refuge is bad and it's going to hurt you. And you mourn that. And so you move into the refuge. And that's meekness where you realize I can't do this, but God can. And so I'm, I'm humble, I'm gracious, I'm kind. And all those things happen because I've moved under the refuge of God. And then we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Once you've tasted it, you feel it and sense it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is like, like you guys, I'm, I think you see my body language getting a little bit excited right now because this is like, I, I want this for me. I want this for my family and I want this for my family. This is satisfaction. Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be happy? Yes, God gave that to you. God desires you to want to be incredibly happy and incredibly satisfied. And here is the path. What does it mean then to actually do this, to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Need your brain again. Check back in with me. This is some kind of deep steps for us to get to. Matthew 5.20, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is still preaching to his disciples, and he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most righteous person who's ever walked the face of the earth, unless your righteousness exceeds that person, you're never going to see heaven. What? To be righteous... As this beatitude and as Jesus is calling us to do is impossible. A few verses later, and Jesus wasn't speaking in verses. He was just talking to people at the end of this train of thought of the beatitudes. He says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like. I want you to feel the weight 
of that. To be righteous is to be perfect. And you can't be. So what, what do we do? 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this about Jesus, about God doing something to Jesus. For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is Jesus. I've heard a silly joke. Second grade Sunday school class. Teacher asked the question, what is a furry animal with a fuzzy tail and gathers nuts for the winter? Little boy raised his hand and he says, uh, I think you're talking about a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. It's a joke. You can chuckle at that. Thanks, Josh. I say, I say that, like, go, this is Sunday school answer, and, we, and I think by virtue of you being a part of this church, you kind of want to push away from your, your typical Sunday school type answer, but this is, perf- this is Sunday school answer. What does it mean to be righteous? Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteous. Not just righteous, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand, do you live, do you walk around this earth knowing this fact? That because of what Jesus has accomplished, accomplished, not is accomplishing or is about to accomplish, but because of what Jesus has accomplished, you are righteous. Period. Blessed are those, so what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? That just means Hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes from faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith. You, you follow in what it takes to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This verse brings it completely. In verse 8, he's talking about chasing things that we think will satisfy us. And we realize that those things can't satisfy us. Instead, we chase Christ because he is the thing that we get our righteousness from. Practically, what does this mean? How do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? First, foremost, live from the fact that you are righteous. How do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Live from the fact that you are righteous. I need you to know that. Second, press into the gospel. Read gospel stuff. Listen to gospel podcasts. Memorize gospel scriptures. Third, read scripture. Like we have the word of God whose the purpose of this book is to invest and plant the seed of the gospel in your soul and who you are. 
And yet, we prefer sleep and television and other stupid stuff that doesn't amount to anything. Fourthly, study Jesus. One of the greatest things you can do is just read the Gospel of John. And understand, as you're doing it, you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're understanding who he is and what he's done for you and pressing into that. Then, ask, or ask God to make you righteous. Do you ever, like, do you ever just do that? Dear God, make me righteous. Like, Scripture says, you, you don't have because you don't ask. God is, God is waiting to give to you. God is waiting to be gracious to you. Do you, do you know that? God is waiting to be gracious to you. And then understand the three ways to live and your personal tendency to slide into a ditch. Again, the three ways to live. We hunger and thirst for satisfaction. Can we, can we like, I didn't plan this, but let's, let's just do this. Can we be friends enough to, we're going to choose a ditch that we can slide into easily. All right? If you think that this is something you might hunger and thirst for your own satisfaction, raise your hand. Not rhetorical. That's this, like you slide into that ditch all the time. Thank you. Um, second ditch, we hunger and thirst for our self-righteousness because we want to satisfy God. Is that a ditch you fall into? That's really fascinating. There's like four or five of you, like, like 75% of us probably are the first one, and a few of us are, are the second one. I think that's an interesting sociological and theological thought. Um, but one of the ways that we can pursue our righteousness is to be aware of who we are. Right? Do you sense how that, how that helps you to understand that the only satisfaction you will ever get is when you're righteous and when God has given it to you? You're not going to gain your own righteousness and you're not going to find satisfaction in something else around you. Finally, and lastly, and I think this is what all the Beatitudes say, the way to be righteous is to have self-awareness. I'm a sinner. I'm broken by my sin. And Jesus has saved me from my sin. Like, and I think about my own tendencies here. We're almost done. Bear with me. I think about my own tendencies to, to come to grips with the fact that I am a sinner. But then when I sin, I'm not broken about it. I don't mourn over it. And as a result, I just stop right there. And I don't go any further. Self-awareness is so important to taking these steps. And my prayer this week, as I've come to this realization that I've I got the first one down, but the second one I just don't have down. I'm, I'm asking God, I'm pressing into God, I'm pressing into Scripture, trying to help myself understand what it means to really mourn my sin. And the result is meekness is... is is brought to me. 
and I can make that step. Like, do you see? Like, I can't. It, I can probably do it. This is where the, the illustration kind of kind of falters. But it, it's kind of hard to get up to this third step. There's a lot of effort that has to happen there from the ground. God intends to bring self-awareness to you to help you to understand these things, and, and your satisfaction is at stake. You ever been around somebody that's really, really happy and satisfied? Like, you want to be around those people. It's the heart of it. And self-awareness, I think, is crucial. And ultimately, what that creates, what someone who is understanding of their sin and then mourns that sin and that result is meek, what that creates is a hunger, a hunger to be righteous. Today, some of you guys will be at a Super Bowl party and you'll walk into the door and you'll smell chicken wings and pizza and cookies or something. And like, it'll, it'll create a hunger in you. And when you do, think about the things that might create a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in you and press into them. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, Thank you for self-awareness. Thank you for the gift of the preparation of this sermon for my own soul, God. God, I confess before you and before these people. I confess before you and before my bride. I confess before you and this church that I impose a burden on them that they're not designed to carry. And God, thank you for showing me frustration and a lack of satisfaction when I impose that. God, I pray for these people, Lord, that we would, we would be frustrated when we seek to find satisfaction in things apart from you. God, frustrate our plans. And God, allow us to find our satisfaction from you. God, guide us now as we respond. God, allow us to not be habitual in these few minutes, Father. But instead, allow us to block out distraction and give us minds to think deeply about who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Please, Lord, give us this time to wrestle with you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name.